Chapter Seven, Part Four of the Pit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Try as he would, the echoes of the rumbling of the pit reached Jadwin at every hour of the day and night. The maelstrom there at the foot of La Salle Street was swirling now with a mightier rush than for years past thundering its vortex smoking it sent its whirling far out over the country from ocean to ocean sweeping the wheat into its currents sucking it in and spewing it out again in the gigantic pulses of its ebb and flow and he jadwin who knew its every eddy who could foretell its every ripple was out of it out of it inactive he sat there idle while the clamour of the pit swelled daily louder and while other men men of little minds of narrow imaginations perversely blindly shut their eyes to the swelling of its waters neglecting the chances which he would have known how to use with such large such vast results that mysterious event which long ago he felt was preparing was not yet consummated the great fact, the great result, which was at last to issue forth from all this turmoil, was not yet achieved. Would it refuse to come until a master hand, all-powerful, all-daring, gripped the levers of the sluice-gates that controlled the crashing waters of the pit? He did not know. Was it the moment for a chief? Was this upheaval a revolution that called aloud for its Napoleon? would another not himself at last seeing where so many shut their eyes step into the place of high command jadwin chafed and fretted in his inaction as the time when the house party should break up drew to its close his impatience harried him like a gadfly he took long drives over the lonely country roads or tramped the hills or the frozen lake thoughtful preoccupied he still held his seat upon the board of trade. He still retained his agents in Europe. Each morning brought him fresh dispatches. Each evening's paper confirmed his forecasts. Oh, I'm out of it for good and all, he assured his wife. But I know the man who could take up the whole jing-bang of that cook's crowd in one hand. His large fist swiftly knotted as he spoke the words. Scrunch it up like an eggshell, by George. Landry Court often entertained Page with accounts of the doings on the Board of Trade, and about a fortnight after the Jadwins had returned to their city home, he called on her one evening and brought two or three of the morning's papers. Have you seen this? he asked. She shook her head. Well, he said, compressing his lips and narrowing his eyes, let me tell you we are having pretty lively times down there on the board these days the whole country is talking about it he read her certain extracts from the newspapers he had brought the first article stated that recently a new factor had appeared in the chicago wheat market a bull clique had evidently been formed uh, presumably of new york capitalists who were ousting the crooks crowd and were rapidly coming into control of the market in consequence of this, the price of wheat was again mounting. Another paper spoke of a combine of St. Louis firms who were advancing prices, bulling the market. 
still a third said at the beginning of a half-column article it is now universally conceded that an unknown bull has invaded the chicago wheat market since the beginning of the month and is now dominating the entire situation the bears profess to have no fear of this mysterious enemy but it is a matter of fact that a multitude of shorts were driven ignominiously to cover on tuesday last when the great bull gathered in a long line of two million bushels in a single half-hour. Scalping and eighth chasing are almost entirely at an end, the smaller traders dreading to be caught on the horns of the unknown. The new operator's identity has been carefully concealed, but whoever he is, he is a wonderful trader, and is possessed of consummate nerve. It has been rumored that he hails from New York, and is but one of a large clique who are inaugurating a bull campaign. But our New York advices are emphatic in denying this report, and we can safely state that the unknown bull is a native and a present inhabitant of the Windy City. Page looked up at Landry quickly, and he returned her glance without speaking. There was a moment's silence i guess landry hazarded lowering his voice i guess we're both thinking of the same thing but i know he told my sister that he was going to stop all that kind of thing what do you think oh i hadn't ought to think anything say shouldn't think landry <clears throat> i shouldn't think then anything about it my business is to execute mr gretry's orders well, I know this, said Page, that Mr. Jadwin is downtown all day again. You know he stayed away for a while. Oh, that may be his real estate business that keeps him downtown so much, replied Landry. Laura is terribly distressed, Page went on. I can see that. They used to spend all their evenings together in the library, and Laura would read aloud to him. But now he comes home so tired, and sometimes he goes to bed at nine o'clock, and Laura sits there alone reading till eleven and twelve, but she's afraid, too, of the effect upon him. He's getting so absorbed. He don't care for literature now as he did once, or, or was beginning to when Laura used to read to him, and he never thinks of his Sunday school. And then, too, if you're to believe Mr. Cressler, there's a chance that he may lose if he is speculating again. But Landry stoutly protested. Well, don't think for one moment that Mr. Curtis Jadwin is going to let anyone get the better of him. There's no man, no nor gang of men, could down him. He's head and shoulders above the biggest of them down there. I tell you, he's Napoleonic. Yes, sir, that's what he is, Napoleonic, to say the least. Page, he declared solemnly, he's the greatest man I've ever known. Very soon after this, it was no longer a secret to Laura Jadwin that her husband had gone back to the wheat market, and that, too, with such impetuosity, such eagerness, that his rush had carried him to the very heart's heart of the turmoil. He was now deeply involved. His influence began to be felt. Not an unimportant move on the part of the unknown bull, the nameless, mysterious stranger that was uh, not duly noted and discussed by the entire world of 
LaSalle Street. Almost his very first move, carefully guarded, executed with profoundest secrecy, had been to replace the five million bushels sold to Liverpool by five million more of the May option. This was in January, and all through February, and all through the first days of March, while the cry for American wheat rose, insistent and vehement, from fifty cities and centers of Eastern Europe, while the jam of men in the wheat pit grew ever more frantic, ever more furious, and while the impassive hand on the great dial over the floor of the board rose, resistless, till it stood at eighty-seven, he bought steadily, gathering in the wheat, calling for it, welcoming it, receiving full in the face and with open arms the cataract that poured in upon the pit from Iowa and Nebraska, Minnesota and Dakota, from the dwindling bins of Illinois and the fast-emptying elevators of Kansas and Missouri. Then, squarely in the midst of the commotion, at a time when Curtis Jadwin owned some ten million bushels of May wheat, fell the government report on the visible supply. Well, said Jadwin, what do you think of it? He and Gretry were in the broker's private room in the offices of Gretry, Converse and Company. They were studying the report of the government as to the supply of wheat, which had just been published in the editions of the evening papers. It was very late in the afternoon of a lugubrious March day. Long since the gas and electricity had been lighted in the office, while in the streets the lamps at the corners were reflected downward in long shafts of light upon the drenched pavements. From the windows of the room one could see directly up LaSalle Street. The cable cars, as they made the turn into or out of the street at the corner of Monroe, threw momentary glares of red and green lights across the mists of rain and filled the air continually with the jangle of their bells. Further on, one caught a glimpse of the courthouse, rising from the pavement like a rain-washed cliff of black basalt, picked out with winking lights, and beyond that, at the extreme end of the vista, the girders and cables of the LaSalle Street Bridge. The sidewalks on either hand were encumbered with the six o'clock crowd that poured out incessantly from the street entrances of the office buildings. It was a crowd almost entirely of men, and they moved only in one direction, buttoned to the chin in raincoats, their umbrellas bobbing, their feet shuffling through the little pools of wet in the depressions of the sidewalk. They streamed out from the brokers' offices and commission houses on either side of LaSalle Street, continually, unendingly, moving with the dragging sluggishness of the fatigue of a hard day's work. Under that gray sky and blurring veil of rain they lost their individualities. They became conglomerate, a mass, slow-moving, black. All day long the torrent had seethed and thundered through the street, the torrent that swirled out and back from that vast pit of roaring within the border trade. Now the pit was stilled, the sluice gates of the torrent locked, and from out of the thousands of offices, from out the board of trade itself, flowed the black and sluggish lees, the lifeless dregs, that filtered back to their level for a few hours, stagnation, till the morning, the whirlpool revolving once more, 
should again suck them back into its vortex. The rain fell uninterruptedly. There was no wind. The cable cars jolted and jostled over the tracks with a strident whir of vibrating window glass. In the street, immediately in front of the entrance to the Board of Trade, a group of pigeons, garnet-eyed, trim, with coral-colored feet and iridescent breasts, strutted and fluttered, pecking at the handfuls of wheat that a porter threw them from the windows of the floor of the board. Well, repeated Jadwin, shifting with a movement of his lips his unlit cigar to the other corner of his mouth, well, what do you think of it? The broker, intent upon the figures and statistics, uh, replied only by an indefinite movement of his head. Why, Sam, observed Jadwin, looking up from the paper, there's less than a hundred million bushels in the farmer's hands. That's awfully small, Sam. That's awfully small. It ain't, as you might say, colossal, admitted Gretry. There was a long silence, while the two men studied the report still further. Gretry took a pamphlet of statistics from a pigeonhole in his desk and compared certain figures with those mentioned in the report. Outside, the rain swept against the windows with a subdued rustle of silk. A newsboy raised a Gregorian chant as he went down the street. "'By George Sam,' Jadwin said again. Do you know that a whole pile of that wheat has got to go to Europe before July? How have the shipments been? About uh, five millions a week. Why, think of that, twenty millions a month, and it's, let's see, April, May, June, July, four months before a new crop. Eighty million bushels will go out of the country in the next four months. Eighty million out of less than a hundred millions. "'Looks that way,' answered Gretry. "'Here,' said Jadwin, "'let's get some figures. "'Let's get a squint on the whole situation. "'Got a price current here? "'Let's find out what the stocks are in Chicago. "'I don't believe the elevators are exactly bursting, and say—' "'He called after the broker who had started for the front office. "'Say, find out about the primary receipts "'and the Paris and Liverpool stocks.' Bet on what you like that Paris and Liverpool together couldn't show ten million to save their necks. In a few minutes, Gretry was back again, his hands full of pamphlets and trade journals. By now, the offices were quite deserted. The last clerk had gone home. Without, the neighborhood was emptying rapidly. Only a few stragglers hurried over the glistening sidewalks. Only a few lights yet remained in the facades of the tall gray office buildings, and in the widening silence the cooing of the pigeons on the ledges and window-sills of the Board of Trade building made itself heard with increasing distinctness. Before Gretry's desk the two men leaned over the litter of papers. The broker's pencil was in his hand, and from time to time he figured rapidly on a sheet of note-paper. And, <clears throat> observed Jadwin after a while, and you see how the millers up there in the northwest have been grinding up all the grain in sight. Do you see that? Yes, said Gretry. Then he added, Navigation will be open in another month up there in the Straits. That's so, too, exclaimed Jadwin. 
and what wheat there is here will be moving out. I'd forgotten that point. Ain't you glad you aren't short of wheat these days? Well, there's plenty of fellows that are, though, returned Gretry. I've got a lot of short wheat on my books, a lot of it. All at once, as Gretry spoke, Jadwin started and looked at him with a curious glance. You uh, have, hmm? he said. There are a lot of fellows who have uh, sold short. Yes, oh yes, some of Cook's followers, yes, quite a lot of them. Jadwin was silent for a moment, tugging at his mustache. Then suddenly he leaned forward, his finger almost in Gretry's face. Why, look here, he cried. Don't you see? Don't you see? See what? demanded the broker, puzzled at the other's vehemence. Jadwin loosened his collar with a forefinger. Great Scott, I'll choke in the See what? Why, I own ten million bushels of this wheat already, and Europe will take eighty million out of the country. Why, there ain't going to be any wheat left in Chicago by May. If I get in now and buy a long line of cash wheat, where are all those fellows who've sold short going to get it to deliver to me? Say, where are they going to get it? Come on now, tell me. Where are they going to get it? Gretry laid down his pencil and stared at Jadwin, looked long at the papers on his desk, consulted his penciled memoranda, then thrust his hands deep into his pockets with a long breath. Bewildered, as if stupefied, he gazed again into Jadwin's face. My God, he murmured at last. Well, where are they going to get it? Jadwin cried once more, his face suddenly scarlet. Jay, faltered the broker. Jay, I'm damned if I know. And then, all in the same moment, the two men were on their feet. The event which all those past eleven months had been preparing was suddenly consummated, suddenly stood revealed, as though a veil had been ripped asunder as though an explosion had crashed through the air upon them, deafening, blinding. Jadwin sprang forward, gripping the broker by the shoulder. Sam, he shouted, do you know, great God, do you know what this means? Sam, we can corner the market. End of chapter 7